welcome here to Portico. We're glad, we're glad to have you here. And if you are in junior high, grade six, seven, or eight, you can head out with Amanda and the group right now. They are going to meet at the back. And if not, then you can just stay with us in the boring class up here. And we are, <laughs> we are starting into a brand new series. And we started last week into a brand new series with, uh, with Pastor Jeff. And it's, we're, we're talking about life rhythms. We're going we're gonna to get into that. But when you go out for lunch, every time you walk by the buffet table, you see the salad bar, right? And can you hear the little voice of your inner cheeseburger screaming at you, just yelling, don't eat the rabbit food. You, you weren't made to be a herbivore. Meat is your friend. Has anyone ever heard that voice coming out inside? Of the, yeah, that's right. You see what maybe, you, you, there's this internal battle going on because you know what you're maybe supposed to do and what the doctors say, how you should eat balance and all that, but you just want the cheeseburger because it's so good. There's bacon and cheese and wonderful things on it. And some people consider health over flavor and fiber over fat, and others just follow their heart and they go with the burger. And I was, <laughs> I was out for lunch this week. I won't tell you who, but it was one of our, one of our pastors, and he may have uh, helped plant this church, but he... Uh, <laughs> He said, you know what, I'm comfortable with my fat. I'm just going to embrace it. And he grabbed onto his belly, and I thought, good for you, Pastor Jeff. I mean, whoever you are. <laughs> he doesn't listen to the audio. I'm sure he won't. <laughs> he, <laughs> nobody tell him. In Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, there was Polonius. And Polonius was the advi- advisor to the, to the king, but he was a foolish advisor. And there's this duality going on in Polonius's life. And before he sends his son off to college, he stops him and he says, here's, here's some words I want you to know. And he says some of the most famous words out of Hamlet, to thine own self be true. And you know, there's a lot of foolishness in this truth. And that the foolishness is that there's something that's right that lies within us for whatever feels good. If we look deep within and whatever feels good for us or works out for us, well, that's truth. Well, that's foolishness. <laughs> It's, it's a selfish mistake that doesn't allow the actual truth of God and right to lead us. Truth isn't within us. Truth comes and is given to us. And this is Polonius's character that embodies this kind of duality. He's a foolish, wise advisor. But he also, in spouting off some of this foolishness, there is hidden wisdom. In that deep down inside of our hearts, there is something that is true. There's a truth about who we are, who we were created to be, And when we begin to discover ourselves, when we really know who we are to our own selves be true, we'll discover an individual that was created by God to worship him, and we'll create an individual that was called to reflect God's love to the world. We were all created. You and I were created to do that, but in a unique way. We're not created to be the same people. God had designs when he made me, And God had maybe better designs when he made you. But we're all called to live with this kind of integrity, to be true to who we are, deep down who we know we are. And that's not an easy task to do and be who we know we're supposed to maybe do and be. Think about this. When did you say yes this week when you really meant no? Think that through. (laughs) What what was the time when somebody said, yeah, sure, I can do it. Do you have time to finish this job for me? And you go, yes, yes, I do. When all you meant to say was, no, no, I don't have any time to do that for you. Or what about, hey, we're all going out after work. You're coming with us, right? Come on, it'll be fun. And all the introverts are trying to crowd in. They're trying to duck and they're hide away. Like, no, I don't want to go out. I don't want to do that. That's not, that's not really who, who I am. Or if, 
if we want to look better, we criticize somebody else, or we don't want to fail, so we avoid risking doing something that we're actually created to do. And we live this duality, this inconsistency between who we are, who God created us to be, and how we act. So how can we learn to live a life with the kind of freedom that allows us to have that kind of integrity? Because you and I, we were created to be certain people, uninhibited by other influences. Do you have a dream? Do, do, you, have, do you have something that you know you just want to do, a, a person you just want to be, something that's, that stirs up inside of you that you go, you know, if I could really live life, this is what I'd be doing. Do you have that? Something you just know is for you? Most of us have some idea, but we're not doing it. And it's, it's sad <laughs> that we can't live in the kind of reality that we wish we could. And we know, we know this reality, we need jobs and we have responsibilities, but, but it's almost disheartening to think, yeah, I have this dream and I can't step into it. And if you were designed, and we believe that we all were designed to live in a certain way, that's God, God made us this way. Then we need to find a way to help each other get to a spot where we can actually start living out the kinds of lives and work lives and, and our church and in our marriages and our families. We need to find out the way that we can live that. And that's what we're doing in this series, Life Rhythms. We're going to be studying a book and it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And if you want to purchase a copy, you can. Our small groups are going to be following along with it on Wednesdays. Here on Wednesday nights, we're going to be watching the video. It's written by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And every week, there's a little 10-minute video. We're going to watch the video on the screen. And then we're going to have a, a CLG experience where we have the same discussion going on on Wednesdays. We're going to discover who we really were created to be and how we can find patterns and rhythms that will not only help us find that out, but also sustain it in a healthy balance in a way, spiritually and emotionally. It's going to be a great study this fall. It'll take us right into November. But this morning, where we're going to go is we're going to study the story of David and how David stepped into his own as a leader and a warrior. And so we'll study that this morning and we'll also on Wednesday or within your small groups. And we're going to see that not everyone saw in David what David knew to be true of himself. David knew he was to be a leader. David knew he was to be this warrior king. But there were people that actually got in his way, and there were things that he was challenged with to get to where God had called him to be. So we're going to see where those obstacles were. And, and you know what? There are even people and things that would have characterized themselves as, yeah, I'm helping David, I'm supporting David. And they actually became somewhat of an obstacle to him. So we're going to go to the Bible, 1 Samuel Chapter 17, verses 12 through 15. You can flip there. If you need to borrow a copy, just quickly slip up your hand and Peter will make sure you get a copy of the Bible to borrow this morning. In the book of Samuel is in the Old Testament, just after the first section there. If not, you can always follow along on your, on your devices. Just go to the U version and look for um, Milton or Portico and you'll find uh, the scriptures just to follow along with right there in our, in our U version. So 1 Samuel 17 verses 12 through 15. Here's what it says. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse. It's from uh, Ephraim. It's a, it, was a, it was a tribe and then it was a, a place, a region, and a people group in Israel. And he was from Bethlehem in Judah. Now Jesse had eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was very old, Saul the king. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. And the firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. Now David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, 
But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I'm going to pause there for a moment. And you might want to leave your Bibles open because we are going to be going into uh, 1 Samuel and 17 quite a bit this morning. But on our quest to become the person that God created us to be, we're all going to encounter something that we're going to call limiters this morning. And they're people, they're experiences that prevent us from living with that kind of authenticity that I spoke of at the beginning of the service. They, they prevent us from living out the true self within us that we really want to be, that we know we were created to be. And you know, most limiters aren't inherently bad things. They're given to us for a specific purpose. If you've ever, um, if you've ever driven like a golf cart or a U-Haul, what's on the engine? What's on the motor in a U-Haul or, or, a, or a golf cart? Yeah, there's a governor, right? It prevents you. That's why when you're driving that U-Haul and you punch it, it gets to a certain point and it goes nowhere because they know that people that rent the U-Haul, it's not their car, so they're not going to take care of it. So they, but they want the car to be taken care of. So they put this governor on the engine to slow it down, to not let you rev it up too high so you don't wreck it. So it's a good thing, but it really prevents you from driving as fast as, as you want to, right? <laughs> when you're driving you while you're thinking, I should be going faster. If you ever get into a golf cart, the whole reason you rent a golf cart is so you can tool around on the golf course, right? You can walk that distance, but you want to have fun with the golf course. It's, it's, it's a thing that's preventative for us, both good and negative. There's speed limits that are designed to slow us down and keep us safe, right? But we don't like those speed limits. That's why when you're on the 401, just be the second fastest person. You won't get pulled over that way. That, that's, that's the limiter that I use. Or the, there's, there's also, there's safety warnings and signs that, 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 that people put up all the time. We were in Texas one time. We were at a state park in Texas, and it was 40 degrees, and we've been walking around, and we were told there were alligators in this swamp, and we're looking, and there were, there were some little ones off to the side, and we were like, why are there warnings that say, don't throw anything into this swamp? There is nothing in the largest alligator we had seen had been this big, and we had walked out on this large uh, boardwalk pier, and we were on this little deck, so the deck was not even as big as the stage up here, and we were probably close to half a kilometer out into this swamp. And there's a sign that clearly says, don't throw any food into the swamp. And Amanda's looking around. This wasn't even me. This was Amanda. <laughs> she, she's looking around and, and she said, there's no, not even any alligators out here. And she's got an apple in her hand and she's, just, she's tired of the walk. It's 40 degrees. So she throws the apple up off the, 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 the dock and it hadn't hit the water for less than even a third of a second. And this giant, like, eight-foot-long crock or gator, whatever it was, just comes and whoop. And, and, then, and now he knows we have food up on the dock and the water. We go off, taking down that, that walkway back, didn't look back, and sprinting away. Sometimes the warning signs are good. Sometimes we need them. But it sure did prevent us from seeing the giant crock that we wanted to see. So it was kind of a win-win. But life has all kinds of these potential limiters that we face. And many of them are established as good things. They serve an important function, but they have unintended consequences. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Some unintended consequences of the limiters that we've been given, and they prevent us, they prevent you, me, from stepping in to the life that you and I were designed to live. And that's none more true than this first one, and we go to fill in the blank. The first one is this, is family. Now, we've all 
experienced family in our own context. We have one parent. We have two parents. Some of us have three parents and four parents. We have multi-generations living in the same house. Some of us have no siblings. Some of us grew up with 13 siblings. We've all benefited from family. And some of us may begrudgingly say, I suppose I've benefited from family. And some of us have been stunted to a degree by our family. And you're thinking, finally, the church is talking about how bad my family is. No, no, we're not actually going to talk about that. <laughs> Your family has the largest impact, probably, of, of who you will turn out to be. More than any other influence in your life, your family, the people you grew up with, shape who you are. Part of its nature, part of its natural, it's our genetics, the stuff we're made up of. You can't change your hair color. You can't change your height. You can't change your body type. You can't change your voice. You were given that by your biological parents. And these kinds of factors, sometimes they qualify you or disqualify you from jobs. You may not have good enough vision to get into some jobs. You may not have the strength to do some jobs. You may not have the height to do some jobs. You may be too tall to ride the Top Gun ride at Wonderland. There may be things that you can or can't do because of the way that you were born. You might have health factors. It might bring you into different relationships or not. These are huge influences. This changes who you are. Just the people you were born from and grew up with, that, or no, just the people you were born from change you. But there's another part that's nurtured within us, and, and these are the people that we grow up around. These are the experiences in our family, and we learn about what love is from our family. Sometimes we learn it well, sometimes we don't. We learn poor forms of love. We learn how to interact with each other, social relationships. Again, sometimes good, sometimes bad. We learn our value systems. It will dictate how you relate to people the rest of your lives. And it's a huge impact on who you've become. And it can be a benefit, but it can be a limiter. When Amanda was in um, university, she had three roommates and she and I had been dating for six or seven years at this time. And she was, she was doing a birth orders um, class and she, so they, they said, just look around you and see what the birth order is of the people that are around you. All three of her roommates and myself were middle children, middle children of three, uh, of three child families. We were exactly in the middle. And we're like, what, what, what's going on? Why would she have been surrounding herself with middle children all the time? When for me, it was pretty easy that we're so easy to get along with and we aim the plea. So for a bossy firstborn like her, we're just cannon fodder. So that's why she surrounds us. It's great when she's over there, right? She, she won't listen either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She says that maybe she liked, she liked uh, being, the, being the firstborn, the one who does all the right things all the time, the one with a little more sense of responsibility, except when there's crocodile signs around. She, she thought, well, maybe I surround myself with middleborn because they're just fun to be with, easy, easygoing, not always necessarily following all the rules. But the mere order in which you were born changes how your life turns out. Isn't that crazy to think about that? That just because you had or didn't have an older sibling, you're a different person. The people in your family, who's in charge, how they treat you, the responsibilities, that changes you. Look what we saw in our key text that David, it points out, scripture tells us, David was the youngest. This changes David. Who's, who's the baby in the family, the youngest in the family, in the, in, in the room this morning? And the rest of us, we know what youngest are like, right? Spoiled and lazier. No, just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that. The scripture does. Let's go and look. 28 and 29. When Eliab, 
David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him, okay? David coming. He said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He's totally talking down to him. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David goes, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? He goes, just because I'm the youngest doesn't mean that I don't have anything to do and I'm just here to bug you and I'm just here for selfish reasons. But youngest, you get characterized like that sometimes, don't you? And you, your, your family looks at you and you say, well, you're, you, you're not given the same responsibility. You're not given the same respect. All the older brothers of David were there to fight and they characterized David as conceited and wicked just for showing up to see what the whole country would have been talking about. The... Israel was in a battle with, with the Philistines and they were in this battle and they were going to have a, a, a one-on-one war at some point and the winner was going to, the whole country was either going to become slave owners or slaves. This is a big deal. Like the, uh, the, the, the winning country got to take charge of the other country and David's just there to see and he's actually there to d- deliver supplies to his brothers and check in on them but he gets characterized selfish because he's the youngest. And it's a limiter in his life. Unintended. I don't think his brothers thought, you know what we're going to do is keep David down. But they did because of the way that they viewed him. And it's just a factor of growing up in a large family. You know, Jesus faced this reality as well. Not that he was the youngest. He was actually the eldest child in his family. But he was God's son, a miracle baby, doing miracles, bringing people back to life. But people saw him differently. They said, no, you're not that. You're just the son of a carpenter. They characterized him by his family. And when he went to his hometown, this is God's son ready to preach the word of God, teach in the church. They couldn't believe him. They couldn't even listen to him and submit to him because they viewed him somewhat differently. Mark 6 and 4, Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and among his relatives and in his own home. And our family experiences, they have the potential to severely limit who we become. Now, but here's the best news as we're studying this this morning. Our story is still being written. And the way that in which people view you is an incomplete picture of who you are. Your parents, your family, they don't get to dictate the plans that God has for your life. Every parent starts with plans and dreams from their child, from day one when they come into being. Parents sacrifice sleep, money, energy, bodies, time, life. Yes, we sacrifice life for kids. So then we try and start to shape them into the people we want to be because they're our kids, right? They should follow in our heritage and in our values and in our plans. But actually, no, they're God's kids. And they're designed for His purpose. Maybe even a purpose that mom and dad don't know of but their purposes that God has for them. And unknowingly, parents, siblings, family members, we may have limited each other by imposing our beliefs onto them without allowing God to develop something within them. And you and I have experienced that in our lives, haven't we? The way that our family members look at us sometimes prevents us from stepping out into the area that God, God has spoken it, but our family has limited it. And parents, all the time, we have these conversations. I did youth ministry for over 10 years. And I know parents that, that sacrificed everything, left their country, left their job, to, and had this, this 
life-changing experience all for their child's success. And then their child pursues a calling that isn't worthy of the sacrifice that their parents have made. But we wonder, who makes the decision? Does God make the decision in us? Or do we make the decision for our family members? Or sometimes we'll characterize people in our families and we say, well, that's the smart one. That's the athletic one. That's the good-looking one. And our opinions of others pigeonhole us and they become limiters. I don't even want to guess how many million dollars a year are spent in counseling because people limit with their words and with their attitudes. And we see this in David. And David shows up at the battlefield and his brothers say, you're just conceited and you shouldn't even be here. What on earth did you come to the battlefield for? You're just a little brat. But David knew God had something more for him and he wouldn't let the family opinions of him become this limitation. And although he was younger, he knew that his brothers had misjudged him and they had misjudged his motives. And if God is speaking something to our hearts about who we are and what he's created us to do, we can't let our family limit us. We can't let those opinions. And it's not just our families. We know our point number two is that there are other influencers in our lives that become limiters. You can fill in the blank there with influencers. There are people in authority that, that influence us and it has the potential to hold us back. Remember that it's even people with the best intentions that have the ability to become a limiter in our life because our family wouldn't set out to hold us back. Look at, look at King Saul. He's the king of Israel, the one who should be working on behalf of everyone in the country. The king becomes a limiter for David. Now, if you remember Saul, he was selected because of his size and his strength. That's something you would naturally want in a king. And people with certain giftings and abilities often have blind spots because of those abilities, and they can't see what other people may have to bring to the table. Wayne Gretzky, the most, unquestion- the most skilled hockey player unquestionably throughout the history of, of the NHL and professional hockey. He is the most goals, assists, and points in the regular season and in the playoffs and in all-star games. If you were going to pick one person who could teach hockey because he understands hockey, this is your guy. And he becomes a coach, and his record goes to 143 wins and 161 losses. He can't even win half of the games that he's coaching other people to play. Now, he may not have had the best teams. He was coaching in Phoenix, where people may have been a little more interested in suntanning than playing hockey. But he was clearly not a coach that inspired great success on his team. And we look at a coach, remember this man has passed away uh, last year, I believe. His name is Pat Burns. He, was, he had an unsuccessful hockey career as a player. He made it through junior, so he played as a teenager, but he couldn't even get out of the junior ranks. He coached the Montreal Canadiens to a Stanley Cup. For goodness sake, he got the Leafs to within one game of a Stanley Cup a couple of times. At times... It's failure or lesser skill that enables a person to see another path towards success, whereas those with other skills, greater skills, in their attempt to empower, they become limiters. So Saul, the king, Israel, he looks at the shorter, younger boy, David, and he makes this quick judgment. 1 Samuel 17, 33. Saul replies, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. This is he was going to go fight Goliath. Goliath's nine, ten feet tall. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Well, so much for the vote of confidence from your leader. 
But David persisted and he said, no, I know what God has called me to do. I know whom God has made me to be. I'm going to fight this guy and I don't care if you don't see the same thing within me that God has put within me. So Saul, he's evidently a little less self-aware or less aware of others than then David was self-aware of himself. So, so Saul says, okay, I'm going to give you my armor and I'm going to give you my sword and you can go out and fight with the skills that, that I've found to be successful. Essentially, he's trying to equip David to tackle the battle, to tackle the problem the way that Saul would do it if he was the one who was taking on that role. He has good intentions, right? He says, I want you to be successful, David. Take this on. Look at verses 39 and 40. So David fastens the sword over his tunic but he, and he tries walking around. David, still young, still small. And because he wasn't used to them, he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. They were too big. They were too clunky. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with a sling in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David did it in his own way the way that God had trained him, the way that God had empowered him. He was being the person he was supposed to be, not the person that Saul maybe wanted him to be. Have you ever felt like you're a square peg being forced into a round hole? You're a mentor. Your mentor has said, you should do this. Your boss has said, this is, this is the next step for you. Maybe it's within the church and we say, here's the ministry that we need filled. We'd love to see you step into that role. We can be just as much of a limiter here at the church. Maybe it's an educator. We all, they all play important pieces in our lives. Yes, we need mentors. We need coaches. We need the church. We need educators. But without a foundation, if you and I don't know who we are and who God created us to be, we get extremely frustrated because what happens is we end up walking out somebody else's path, somebody else's life rhythm, and as opposed to the path that God has set out for us. And once we hear from God and know who we are, then it's up to us to stay true to that calling regardless of any criticism or any kind of instruction that may be given to us. Scripture's full of examples how God actively spurs on people and places them into roles, gives them opportunities to use their skills and giftings as he's dictated, not how we've dictated. Just because, and think this through, just because God has called you to something doesn't mean that others are going to support you in that calling or in the way that they've called you to do it. Saul sure didn't for David, but David was called to be king. And in fact, most times, the things that we're designed to do will be met with opposition. And that doesn't mean we give up. (laughs) Most things worth doing cause ripples, and they're going to unsettle people. Timothy was called to be a young pastor, and Paul had to remind him, don't let people look down on you because you're young. You know what that means? There were people looking down on him because he was young. And if you're young in the room and you're called to do something, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Instead, be an example to believers in your faith and your life and in your love. In Acts, after Jesus had gone back up to heaven, the disciples knew what they had to do. They had to spread the word and the message of salvation for the world to everybody around them. And the religious leaders were trying to prevent them. And they haul Peter and John into court and they beat them. And they're, and they're persuading them, you can't do this, you can't be this. And they, say, they looked at him and they said, you're unschooled, you're ordinary. What gives you the right to teach? And here's what they say. Here's the, here's the scripture we can place our feet on and become firm on knowing we can step out in that. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. 
And if God's given you something to be, a person to be, a role to play, don't listen to anyone other than God. Step out into who you are. Because when, when you discover who you are and what you were created to do, then there, we can't let any doubt or question, even from those who are in authority over us, to prevent us from being the people whom we were called to be. We may want to do it in the right way. We may not want to do it in a, in a combative way. And we see David saying, you know, Saul, I, I can't do it that way. Can you at least let me try and do it my way? And the most fulfilled you and I will ever feel is when we step out of the opinions of others and step in to the will of God for our lives. There's no salary, no human appreciation that can ever match knowing that what you're doing and who you're being is what you were created to do and be. And David reminds us that despite the criticism and the opinions that oppose us, whether it be from family, whether it be from an influencer, we need to chase the dream that God put in our hearts. There's one last limiter this morning we're going to look at, and it's the limiter of circumstance. And early on in David's life, he was called to be king. The prophet came and anointed him and said, you're going to be the king. You're going to be the leader. And here he is facing off against a giant, and nobody believes in him. And he's hearing the voices in his head that he's too young, that he's ill-equipped, and he's probably going about this the wrong way. And that's the point that you and I probably give up. When we have a task to take on, a role to step into, and people say, you're doing it the wrong way, and you're not really prepared to do it. You and I, we may give up at that point. Look at how David responds. 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 46. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And in the face of daunting circumstance, David stands firm in his calling and in the strength and knowing that those whom God has called cannot fail. And if God's placed a dream in your heart, it cannot fail if he's called you to do it. And Damien, if we can just go back to that last slide with the pictures, your circumstance may not be as clear as a nine foot tall warrior with a sword calling obscenities out at you. That may not be as clear, but your circumstance may be one of these. It may be health. It may be financial. It may be a broken relationship. Life has prevented you from being the person that you're supposed to be. But when we look at David, who was called to be king, who was toiling away in obscurity, alone in a farm field, while his brothers, who weren't called to be king, were fighting alongside the king, doing what David was called to do, in the midst of feeling forgotten, in the midst of feeling like he'd been left behind, even in all this, his sheep herd, we, we can read about this, he was attacked by wild animals. Talk about being kicked when you're down. You're already, you're already feeling forgotten. And then we read that it wasn't even just like the coyotes like we would experience. He said there were lions and bears that came at him. I'd say that circumstance preventing David from being who he needs to be. But David didn't see the lions and the bears and the other circumstance as a limiter and saying, I can't be who I'm created to be. He saw it as a springboard. Look at these words. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and then I struck it and killed it. 
David didn't see his difficult challenge as a limiter. He saw it as God preparing him to be what he needed to be in the end. And even on the days when we feel forgotten, when we feel like people or circumstance has prevented us from fulfilling our destiny, David's story reminds us that we are not forgotten. Once David understood who he was and who God was, he knew that he was prepared to overcome every circumstance and limiting attitude that life threw his way. And the same is true for you and I. Do you know your true self? Do you know who God wants you to be? Then to thine own self be true. If you know the God that is resonant within you, there is no limiting circumstance that can prevent you from stepping in to your destiny. There is no attitude of men. There is no opinion of family. There is no circumstance that prevents you that, to becoming and doing what God predestined in you when he created you to achieve. Here's what Philippians 4 and 13 says in the message. I love it. Whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. This is a morning that we're to be encouraged out of the word of God. And we are going to sing a response song. And the chorus just says, I am all that he says I am. I am not what anyone else has called me to be. And we're going to sing it as a declarative prayer that we're committed to living the destinies that God has set out before us. And we will live a life based not on who the world says we are, but on who God says we are. If you've been in church long enough, you know the end of the story of David and Goliath. He hits the Goliath in the head with a stone and the giant falls down. It's, it, it was God. <laughs> like, we understand this, right? It wasn't that David was just that magical with a slingshot to kill a 10-foot tall guy. This fall, we're going to embark upon a journey. You may not yet know deep down inside who God has created you to be. That's why we're doing this study. And I'm going to encourage you, find a small group, find a CLG. Next, Amanda's going to come in a moment. She's going to share some details. But find a group you can meet with. Track along with us this fall as we look for the ways that we can track along and discover who we really are, who we were created to be, and become healthy both spiritually and emotionally, knowing that we're stepping into the destinies and the lives that God has set out for us. When David understood really whom God had called him to be, it didn't matter. He fulfilled it. We'll never be as fulfilled as when we know we're walking and stepping in the place where God wants us to be. So I'm going to pray a blessing over us as, as a church before we close this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is so true, that your word is real. And I thank you for David, that example of a boy who some people didn't believe in, who his family had characterized as just the youngest and whom the world had thrown challenging circumstances at. Lord, there are people in this room this morning that feel forgotten, that feel challenged, that feel like they have something to offer, but other people don't seem to be fostering that. In the name of Jesus, I pray a spirit of David within them, an understanding of that the spirit of God is speaking something real and true in them. And those whom God has called, those will be empowered by that same spirit. And Lord, I pray that over the next few months, we know this doesn't happen in an instant. We don't walk out of here necessarily ready to go, but we're, we're gonna discover, it's a journey, God. We're gonna discover how to find out who we are, how to step into that calling, how to step into the reality of living every day 
being the people that you've set out for us to be unique, individual. It's going to look different for King Saul as for David, as it will for me, as it will for Cristiano, as it will for Heather, Lord. It'll look different. And that's what we're excited to be about. Thank you so much that you care about us, that you have unique ways for us to live out our faith, Lord. God, we're excited to see what you're going to do in us this fall and where you're going to take us this fall. So thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you in advance. All in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.